Hey, what is going on, everybody? Hey, it is episode number 10 of the Chasing Waypoints podcast. We are back. I was going to wait a couple days to post this one, but decided against that because we have a special guest for this one. So we're doing another In the Bivouac, but this time around it is with Mr. Skyler Howes. Reached out to him on Facebook, told him a little bit about what we're doing with the podcast and was ready to be a part of that. So absolutely excited. Learned a lot in this conversation about uh, the mentality and, and what goes into his preparation for Dakar and what it's taken to get where he's at. So really cool, really awesome. I'm super stoked that he was able to come onto the show and spend a little bit of time with us on his commute home. So without further ado and a long-winded introduction, here's episode number 10 of the Chasing Waypoints podcast in the bivouac with Skylar Howes. So we want to know more about the journey and then how you got there. Uh, well, I mean, the, the journey to get there was the hardest part for sure. I mean, at, as a privateer coming up with your own funds and all that kind of business is, is definitely the hardest part. I mean, there's a handful of people out there that this is a bucket list item. And I mean, it's, it's no, it's, it's not just a hopping down and going to a race real quick. I mean, this is almost a year of planning and training and, there's so much, so much to the Dakar that you have to just be prepared for that. And then the money, I mean, the money is to, that you have to come up with is, is a huge, huge chunk of all of it. So, I mean, get, getting there in the first place was a really gnarly adventure for me just because we didn't really know if the Dakar was going to happen for sure with the virus. And then finally we got the okay. So I had like, four months to try and fundraise a hundred thousand dollars to go. So it's a, it's a pretty stressful task for me for sure. And, and to be able to, you know, get it all done, I had to sell everything. So I had my rally bike that I raced Peru on. I had a handful of Hondas and just a bunch of other stuff that I, I had to sell it all. So, um, I mean, Dakar is kind of a crazy thing because it takes a huge amount of dedication to finish the race, but it takes it. I, in my eyes, it was more dedication to get there in the first place and more stress. Like once I got there, the stress kind of was, you know, all I had to do was ride my dirt bike at that point. So the stress kind of went away. So yeah, pretty wild business. Yeah, that is, I, I mean, it's, it's like, you're saying all of this and I'm, I'm picturing that video clip of you coming in on the last day and you're just absolutely stoked. And I mean, just fist pumping. And, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's now knowing that like, you know, what you just said and, and, and seeing that is just absolutely crazy, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the emotions that come through every single day at Dakar when you make mistakes or, if you have a really good stage or if you didn't even make any mistakes, but you just didn't have a good stage, there's so many emotions that come through you. So even, you know, result aside, just to finish the Dakar is such a huge accomplishment. And that's what so many people set out to do. The other two guys that were on my, uh, you know, on the boss Dakar team, uh, one is Olaf. He's Dutch. The other is Michael. He's, uh, uh Australian. And, uh, Olaf's full goal because he tried to do it last year and he crashed out on day three. So his goal solely was just to finish. And 
you know, Michael was killing it. He had a great result. He was finished, uh, I think, inside the top 20 or almost there, um, you know, which is really, really good. And then there's this other guy that actually rented the bike from Bart at Boss Trucks. Um, he's from Botswana. And the dude would finish almost every single day in dark and like we didn't know how he finished in the first place but like the most dedication and drive dude like slept out in the desert a couple different times he had hypothermia and what had to go to the medical tent a few like there's so much stuff that happened and he had so much dedication he was last he was dead last but he finished and it was insane and that's I mean, a lot of the guys that race that car, that's just their only goal is to finish because it's such an insane race, you know? Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, that's, it's, it's 12 races, right? I mean, that's, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so back in, uh, so rewinding all the, all the, all the way back, what was, uh, first, I mean, how did you even say like, Hey, I want to try this rally thing. Like, give me a road book. What was that? About? Um, yeah. So I didn't really have a ton of, I didn't really know how to get started into it. I thought rally was always something that came to, you know, someone who was getting on a factory team. So, you know, Ricky, there, Ricky was kind of in the right place at the right time. They were looking for an American to put on Honda. So they had tryouts and he, you know, just was in the right place at the right time to get in front of it. And for me, there wasn't any opportunity like that. Um, so when I started riding for Garrett Pouchet, I knew he was a big time rally guy. He had won the Baja rally. And so, uh, when he asked me to ride on his Baja 1000 team, I said, Hey, listen, you know, if there's support available, I'd love to try rally. And he's got all fired up about it. He was super stoked to, you know, share his knowledge and get me into it. Um, and that's kind of how it started was I really just kind of threw, ran it past Garrett and was like, Hey, I, I'm down to try it out. And, you know, if I can navigate, well, I'd love to do Sonora rally and, and get into this. And my very first road book that he ever did, I actually got pretty well. Like, you know, I, I, I understood it. I mean, it was a beginner road book for sure, but I still understood it. And so from that point forward, it actually, I felt like it was, I wouldn't say natural, but it just felt, it felt like how racing and riding should be. You know, you have a map that you're supposed to be following. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter how much homework you put in. It matters if all of these different things come together, your navigation, your overall skill, your technique, your mindset, and then the preparation behind that kind of stuff. It really determines how you are at, as a rally racer or even just a, a rally rider. And that's what actually just got me super fired up on it because it was kind of burned out of the Baja stuff and the hare and hound stuff, you know, the rivalry and everyone going out there and, you know, putting in a month of pre-running and making in B lines and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't come, it, it wasn't as raw as I wanted it to be. You know, it didn't come down to man and machine. It came down to whoever did the most homework and that's why I love rallies because it, you, you can't do homework. You don't know the road book beforehand. So it's just, is is raw. It's your, you, it's you against the road book and against the terrain. And I, I mean, got me really fired up. So yeah, that led me into the Sonora rally, which 
uh, I was very fortunate enough to be supported by Garrett. And uh, he, unfortunately, like, I think he had a motor issue and was had to DNF that race. But so I rode the majority of the race with Scott Bright and he kind of coached me while we were racing. Um, and I was able to win that. And that gave me the Dakar challenge win, which gave me a free entry fee to Dakar 2019. And then I went to Peru from there. And I thought I was all sick because I went and I won Sonora rally, went to Baja rally and for training and won that. So I'm like, okay, I just won my very first two ever rallies. I'm going to go to Dakar and I'm going to be sick. Well, uh, I was in way over my head because I'd never ridden a a rally bike, a full-size rally bike before. I really didn't know how to navigate. Even though I had done two rallies, I was still not a good navigator. And I was, I had the complete wrong mentality going into it. I thought I had everything on lockdown and Dakar has a funny thing of just slapping you in the face. If you think you know everything and just being like, Nope, you definitely don't. (laughs) So, I mean, that's kind of the beginning into it. I, I mean, my very first year of rally got thrown into Dakar and I had no idea what I was doing. So, um, to come from there and to be able to do two more Dakars, this was my third one. It's, uh, and to be able to have a result like this kind of soon into my career, I'm, uh, really stoked on it because there's still a ton to learn for sure. Even though, yeah, I've had a, a good result. There's a lot of stuff that I learned this year that I could do a lot better. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of got thrown into it pretty quick and it's really snowballed into what it is now. So, yeah. yeah so the beginnings were, like you said, is just something that it was just more of a raw, like I want some, some competition where everybody's on the same field. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah. I got, I got tired of being outgunned by people who had all the time to go out there and, and pre-run or all the time to go out there and just train every day, ride every day and just, put it all I mean Heron Hounds you're putting everything on the line for not a lot of reward so uh, that's what uh, what I really love about rally is you know it, it's it's all on you if you want to if you want to really put the hammer down that's on you the, the pace kind of is determined by you alone so um yeah it's really nice because you could have a, a, a kind of easy easy day uh, and and then you can wick it up if you need to make up time or uh, there's there's a lot more to rally racing and it's a lot more of a thinking man's type sport rather than just go out there and haul ass go as fast as you can and take shortcuts you know yeah pin it pin it under the horizon right so for you like i mean in in a sport that like you can't really do homework um what did you learn from the first Dakar to the second, the second to the third? Were there major tweaks? Was there every year was there something you're like, I'm I'm gonna work on this more? Well, from the first to the second, that was the biggest jump because the first Dakar was just, you know, I I by like stage five, I was finally getting into the swing of things, and then I got a top ten overall finish and I panicked. And so I was riding kind of crappy on stage six and, and crashed. So I separate, I dislocated my shoulder on the liaison on stage three and continued to race, had my best finishes after that. And then on stage six, I was inside the top 10 and I was just so nervous that I was really not riding well and 
went down again, dislocated my shoulder again, and I was out. So I only made it roughly halfway through through the fir- through my first Dakar in Peru. And what I learned mostly about that is your mentality can be your worst or your best enemy big time. And my mentality was for sure my worst enemy on that one. I was, I was so consumed by not having good results thinking, Oh man, I've thrown this away and I'm never going to get this opportunity to go back. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I'm throwing it all away. I'm getting poor results and I'm not riding really well. And it's just, I was just way in over my head and it kept making me ride worse because I had a bad, bad mentality. So I did a lot more training and Garrett really stood behind me. So I got to do, um, like the Morocco desert challenge and I won that. And then I went to Greece and which was really, really good training, but unfortunately it broke my neck. So that happened four months before, uh, roughly three and a half months before Dakar in 2020. And I had a uh, three vertebrae fused in my neck. So I had no training. I had one week of training before Dakar 2020. And basically my mentality switched big time because I was like, all right, listen, I'm just glad I can be here. So I'm way out of shape. I haven't really been able to do the training leading up to it. I did good training beforehand, but you know, my, my physical fitness is not going to be there. And I'm just not as prepared physically as I'd like to be. So at this point, I just need to ride every day have a good time, enjoy it. And whatever happens, happens. And if I get a good result, it is what it is. And I think that really played into it because I actually had a great time. And if I'm having fun, I ride faster. So, uh, yeah, that played into a big time. And I was fortunate enough to come home, even with some adversity, like some mechanical issues. Uh, I still came home with ninth overall, which I thought was so sick. I was like, all right, listen, my dream was just to go to Dakar in the first place. Now to come home with a top 10 overall finish is unreal. You know, man, this is, this is insane. And from that point forward, I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm dedicated into this now. So it's on. Yeah, exactly. And and from, from that one to this one. Yeah. That one to this one was a little bit tougher, honestly, because when I finished top 10, I was thinking, okay, anyone who finishes top 10 has either started or done it with factory support. And so, you know, if I finish ninth overall as a privateer with mechanical issues, um, you know, I'm going to have factory reach out to me and give me some support for next year. So I was all fired up. Well, every seat was taken. There was no one leaving. There was no seats available other than Yamaha. And no calls ever came. I sent emails. I sent DMs on Instagram. I like, I reached out everywhere I could and nothing ever came. No responses to any of those things, no phone calls, no nothing. So it really actually took a stab at my self-esteem and just my mentality. I was like, oh man, this sucks. You know, I put everything I had into this and nobody cares. So it was kind of a bummer, but I, you know, I bummed out for a little while and, um, unfortunately Garrett had his crash at Dakar in 2020 and, you know, it was a financial burden for one, I mean, to support me and him both going to Dakar, but then to have an injury on top of it. Uh, so it was financially 
a, a struggle and then just men- mentally a struggle for him and his family because he's in a foreign country with serious injuries. And, um, yeah, it kind of took the motivation away and then a pandemic hit. So it, it uh, took the finances away he has he has to support a family so you know the the racing thing kind of took got set aside which is completely understandable and um i was lucky enough i still had support to finish out some usa races uh but going into dakar 2020 i was more or less on my own um and uh it, it was really tough but also really inspiring because yeah i was on my own but so many people came together to help me out. Like the amount of people that came together to buy a t-shirt or to support me at a fundraiser or not anything like that was incredible. So I was bummed out that I didn't get any factory support, but I got so much support from, from people, you know, around just, like I said, buying t-shirts and sending me a couple hundred bucks here and there. So it was, uh, it got me really fired up and, but the stress of everything was just, you know, a lot. And, and, uh, it kind of took a, took its toll on my, on my, uh, mental and physical deal. Like I, it was tough for me to train and get out and have the motivation to do everything because, you know, I was just so stressed about having the money and the finances. And then I sold everything. So I didn't have anything to ride or train on to begin with. So going into this year, I still wasn't in the, the, physical shape that I'd like to be. So I just went into it with the same thing. All right, listen, I'm going with a better team, not better team. The team that I was with in the first place, they did a great job. Uh, Andre clean chief. He, he ran a great program and he's a racer himself. He taught me a lot, but it was a team on a budget and the boss Dakar team is a, a, a legit, like Bart runs a very tight program. And, um, you know, the difference is from last year is if we didn't need to change the part, we weren't going to this year. It was like, Hey, we have two days on this clutch still looks good, but tomorrow's a dune stage. We're going to put a new clutch in just to be safe, you know? So, um, going with a, a, a team that had, I had proper suspension, a bike that was set up for me, um, and a, a team that ran, runs a really tight program. I was like, all right, listen, I'm on better equipment. I have, I have a better program this year. I have the experience. All I need to do is have fun, ride the best I can every single day. And that's it. You know, I, I can't, I can't do better than my best. So that's all I did. Every day was just do my best. And then on stage three, I was in the overall lead. So it was insane. Like it's insane to see just, okay, you have the right program. You do the home or or you do the work behind the scenes, you get there, you dedicate, and then just have fun riding your dirt bike and you know, good things can happen. So this year it was, uh, I mean, it was really stressful, but from the navigation from last year, the mentality, the mentality was the biggest thing for me. I mean, I I still, there's a couple times this year that I pushed too hard when I should have just relaxed but, um, the mentality was honestly the biggest thing that I learned from last year, heading into this year is to just chill out, have fun riding your dirt bike and whatever happens happens because you can't change it. Some things just happen and you have to fix those problems and that's all you have to do. And to 
be down on yourself or kick yourself about it. It does nothing to help you out. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I learned. Yeah. Is the, the mentality behind it and, and pushing on that. Right. It, um, and you mentioned something interesting. So with the, with the equipment and, and this question came out, I was talking to a friend and, and I was curious about this as well. So seeing these videos, we're just sending this bike. Um, how much time did you have on the equipment before you even got, you know, actually to the first stage of the Dakar? How do, how do they go about setting it up for you? Cause the bike looked like it was like, like it's been yours for years, you know? Yeah. So this year I, that was one of the main things that I told bar. I was like, listen, I d- I've never been able to ride my race bike going into Dakar before. So this is a big deal. I, I, I need to be comfortable on this thing before the first stage because it's, uh, you know, it takes me three or four days to finally get confident in anything. And last year I still wasn't even confident in the bike. Everything I hit, I was always worried it was going to do something. I didn't know what it was going to do. And it was still good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still a, a proper bike, but you know, when you're slamming into stuff at a hundred miles an hour, it's, you have to be really confident in your stuff. So it's the main thing I told him, I was like, look, I need some way to test it. And he says, all right, well, come do rally du Maroc. We'll give you the exact same setup. You're going to race Dakar on for rally du Maroc. Come do that. That's the best testing you possibly have. Unfortunately that got canceled, but Andalusia rally took its place. So we went to Spain and raced Andalusia rally on that same bike. And it wasn't, the best place for testing just because it's not really out in the open desert. Um, but I still got time on the bike and then I got to go uh, up to Jordi Villadome's place and do some proper navigation training. We went to the uh, KTM test track, which had some really good you know, features out there that I can make suspension adjustments. And more or less, I just got comfortable on the bike. Um, and then going into Dakar, I got one day of uh, riding on it at shakedown just to get kind of the bugs out and, and the pre-race jitters. And then we got a prologue. So it actually gave me some like race time to really get the jitters out. And then, and then we went into the the first stage Dakar. So this year I actually got proper time on the, on the bike to get, I guess, confident in it and know what it's going to do. So, uh, but it's funny you say that because actually, you know, there's multiple times while I was riding where I realized afterwards, I wasn't thinking about the bike at all. I, and normally there's always something kind of in the back of your head where you're like, Oh, okay. The bike kind of normally does this. I need to chill out when I hit this or this or that. And, uh, this year I was just so, I, I felt really good on it. So I didn't actually worry about what the bike was going to do. I just mashed into stuff and went as fast as I wanted to go. And it worked out. I mean, the bike, bike handled great. So I was really pumped. Uh, we could see it. <laughs> I mean, it, it really did look, you know, just dialed for you and then you look comfortable. And I mean, it's just, it was, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, so I, I guess we could see that, that part of it. What was, uh, I mean, was there any moments where the bike did something this year that you didn't expect that got kind of sketchy or. <laughs> <laughs> the i mean because it, it's i i know no, they, i mean the dunes, the, 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 the dunes did oh. oh i think i think you broke up a little bit okay. can you hear still hear yeah, me? yeah we can hear you yeah yeah okay cool um 
Yeah. So, uh, Honestly, the dunes were the hardest part for me just because I think mostly my physical fitness. Um, so I wasn't really riding as aggressive as I needed to and trying to save energy, which is you can't ride the dunes fast like that. And so it actually, I just got into trouble there. I'd fall into holes and just, you know, I'd get into trouble in the dunes, which kind of was where I lost most of my time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, other than that, the only thing that was actually sketchy about the bike was the tire rule. We were limited to six tires, so we're more or less riding on bald tires every day. And that gets sketchy because then you can't stop for corners. So if you're hauling down a dirt, like a gravel road, then you got a short, sharp corner coming up that's not really in the road book, so you're not prepared for it. You're just trying to terrain read and it's sharper than you think. So you hit the brakes and you don't stop. You don't slow down. You just keep sliding. Mm-hmm. That gets super dicey. And luckily every time that happened to me, there was a bailout option. And I was able to get off the road and not have a serious crash or anything. Yeah. But yeah, that, that tire rule was, was honestly not whoever thought that was a good idea. It was not, it was actually quite dangerous. Because yeah. then we're just riding through boulders, through dunes, and on gravel roads, on bald tires, which that's not safe at all. Yeah. So that was kind of the sketchiest thing is just not being able to stop. But as far as you know, anything really sketchy happening, I mean, there's there's all of the there's like nine hundred butt pucker moments that happen every single stage in Dakar for sure. Yeah. But uh, and any one of those could be something that is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. But luckily, luckily it all, you know, I hung onto it. So it worked out. <laughs> Stayed on it. Stayed in it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So now that, uh, now that you're back, what are, you, are, are you already got your sights set on uh, Dakar 2022? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now this year taught me a, a lot more about the pace and what's possible. I mean, before when I finished ninth, I was an hour and a half outside of the lead. And this time I was like 53 minutes and this year the pace was so much higher. It was insane how fast and how hard we were pushing every day. But it made me realize that, Hey, listen, I made two mistakes that cost all of that time that put me off of the podium. And both of the mistakes that I made are fixable. You know, it's obviously Dakar, anything can happen every day. And, and you know, they're, issues that probably will happen no matter how much preparation you put into it. But the two issues that I made were, were, were my fault. They weren't just like, Oh, the navigation was difficult and I couldn't figure it out. It was just, I, I just made mistakes and it taught me like, okay, listen, if I didn't make those mistakes, it could have been on the podium. And it made me realize that podiums are possible. And this year the podium was only separated by like less than 10 minutes. So if you're separated by less than 10 minutes, a win is possible. And so it really got me fired up on it. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm putting in training work. I've already started like really good recovery process on the body right now. I'm getting back in the gym and, you know, I had some, had some time off for sure, but getting back in the off the bike training. Cause the only bike I got to ride is my buddy, Jeremy's. He gave me his 2012 KTM 252 stroke to ride, which is well used. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, I mean, it's fun to ride still, but it's not like the best to just go out there and pound out motos on it. It's not, you know, super identical to any rally stuff, but 
Um, so I'm getting off the bike training in getting some re- good recovery and I'm really fired up into, to, to go back next year, just cause you know, I, it, it opened up another section of my mind. Like, yeah, you set goals for yourself, but now the goals are way beyond every, what I ever thought I would do. So now it's got me really excited to just keep pushing those goals higher and higher and higher and seeing what, you know, I'm capable of accomplishing, you know? Yeah, but you, it looks like you're seeing you're seeing a direct line. You know, the the results are going up. You know, with each year, you know, gaining more experience. Have, do you have a the the golden question? Do you have a ride already for the Dakar? Are you going back with Bart and the BAS team, or boss, or what's the? Yeah, bo- boss. Bart. Um, but uh, no, there's nothing. There's no pen to paper. Um. I, I'm, I'm hoping we have some good news, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. I know contracts usually for rally stuff are all made around first, first couple of weeks of February. Um, so yeah, no, no, no news to, to, you know, blast out there right now, but I'm hoping within the next few weeks, something good comes and we get some proper support and I can make it back because that's the biggest thing is, yeah, I want to go back and I want to keep doing it, but I, I can't do what I did again this year. Like I have nothing else to sell. So, uh, other than, other than my body. So I guess I could just go down to Vegas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know how the rules are in Utah but, or what uh, other states. No, but... Hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Nice. Well, I didn't, I know you got a lot of people rooting for you and, and, and that's what we hope. I mean, we hope to see you out there on a, on a factory team. That's what I'm hoping for. I, I got a couple of ideas of who it is. Uh, me and another friend uh, from rally uh, are, are trying to figure out we're, we're putting bets. Who's your ideas? Uh, Where's your bets? I, I don't, I don't want to jinx. Cause if I tell you and then it, you know, um, but you know, I was thinking Honda because of the American team. That's my, and yeah, there's already an American there and they got the top American already there. So, yeah, but you one know, thing like about you, you, Euro—it's one thing about Euros—is they—they if there's an American there, they only want one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only other option, and it's because you're already at home on it, has got to be a KTM. That's uh, I write I read KTM, but that has nothing to do with it. But uh, that would be the only uh, that I would think KTM or Husqvarna, you know, for that uh, for that camp. I don't know. Right. You know what? I uh, you've done so well that I think that whatever team you know decided to step up to the plate for you would be lucky. Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate that, and obviously the goal is to land on a factory spot. Um, I mean, I, I, I I'm glad that I was able to put it together this year because now there are some open seats. And, you know, things are moving around and whatnot. So there, there could be a potential there. So I'm really, uh, you know, I've, I've, I, I learned my lesson not to get my hopes up, but, uh, yeah, I really, I really, really hope something comes through and, and we can, we can get back there because now, now I'm, I'm even more fired up about it, about putting in good result and yeah. trying to keep back. And I mean, Ricky's got two podiums, so now I want to, keep backing them up keep keeping american on the podium yeah right there and like you mentioned it earlier it's just the the, i was in awe of the pace that was going down this year it's just absolutely 
like it was all minutes it wasn't like before like you mentioned that it was you know hours you know or or half hour or or this like everything is just like you you really legitly had no idea what was going to happen the next stage right yeah which actually was super exciting you know for people watching and also on the bike it was just it kept things it kept things interesting and that's what i think i i just love racing you know i love racing my dirt bike and whatnot and when it's exciting like that is awesome to have a pace where you're just pushing hard you i mean you could have finished anywhere from first place to 20th place any one of these guys out there could have won the won the dakar which is rad it's so rad to to just push that hard with so many super fast dudes i don't even yeah it you it's like you see everybody like you just said it every literally everybody has a legit shot like you're not not like a, a oh well he's on a factory team so you know he's got to get it no like everybody has a legit shot at that you know which yeah which is i think is is absolutely awesome so switching gears yeah, I, oh go ahead no I, I was just gonna say i hope they keep the terrain the road books and all that kind of stuff similar from this point forward just because it made the racing so exciting yeah there was a lot of rocks this year and a lot of people didn't like that but that actually really played into mine and reiki's favor like you know we kind of we go fast on the rocks and i really enjoyed it and a lot of people prefer the dunes but i really liked the course layout this year and the navigation was tricky which shook things up a bit so i hope it stays similar i hope it doesn't really you know there are some people that complain about high speeds and whatnot which motorcycle riding is inherently dangerous as long as there's dangers marked and you know you ride within your means you can't you can't put bubble wrap around everyone so i i hope it stays pretty similar to what it is now yeah well and you know it's up to you if you don't feel comfortable riding at that speed then okay then you're not comfortable riding at that speed why rain on the parade for everybody else yeah but right um, well, switching gears a little bit, because the the goal is is we want to see more people getting into rally and and getting getting stuff going and, and getting a bigger crowd. What uh, what do you suggest like for riders and racers and people like to get into the sport? What would be your your recommendations, your suggestions to them? Well, first off, is to do it for the right reason. If you're doing it for publicity or to get on TV at Dakar or anything, you need to just change your mindset right away. You know, the biggest thing is you need to have a passion for rally and racing in the first place and not just want to do it to be the guy, you know? So the most important thing, first off, is getting the equipment, having a bike that's can get the fuel mileage and you can do proper days on, on or, you know, proper long training days, uh, having a bike that's equipped for that. And then equipping that bike with navigation equipment, you know, a, a odometer, a compass and, uh, and a road book. Um, and that's like your first, if you're, if you're ready to do it, get a setup like that and then take as many schools as you can stop, right. Does one, uh, I'm going to, I do one now, but I'm going to be putting a lot more effort into it. Like with, uh, um, me and Mason Klein are actually going to be teaming up with it. Mason makes really, really good road books. So, uh, we're going to team up and, and put together a legit school, uh, with, you know, classroom training and then proper training road books that are, 
you know, range from a beginner level level all the way up to an advanced level. So we can kind of progress and go through all that. So uh, Jimmy Lewis obviously is like, you know, wizard when it comes to uh, roadbook training. So uh, doing Jimmy Lewis's training, uh, like I said, Scott Bright, myself, just do the classes, do the training, and then start out slow. Do, uh, you know, North, any, any type of North American stuff you can get your hands on, Sonora, Baja Rally, get your feet wet and figure out your mentality, how you're supposed to navigate at speed. And just, there's, there's so many aspects to, to rally that I can't, I, I couldn't even scratch the surface at it right now, but you have to be able to, to be comfortable in your own skin and in your own brain, because when you inevitably make a mistake, you need to be able to correct that. And if you're just trying to race and not follow the road book, you can really get yourself into trouble. So, I mean, rally is, like I said earlier, my favorite form of racing. It's, it's raw and it's so much fun when you start, you know, click, clicking away the navigation and you're nailing things and it's just all working. It's so much fun, but you need to get yourself to that point before you think about tackling a huge event like Dakar, because, you know, spending that kind of money to go out there and just make mistakes all day, or, you know, like I said, get yourself into trouble, you know, rally racing takes time to make sure you're prepared. And that's the biggest thing. So being prepared means making road books, riding the road books, having friends make, you know, make road books for your friends, have friends make road books for you, ride each other's road books, just have fun with it because that's what rally is super fun. So yeah, if you do all of that kind of training, you take the schools, you do Sonora and Baja rally and anything in North America, you can get your hands on. And then you're like, yes, all right, I'm fired up. This is exactly what I want to do. Then shoot for Dakar because it's, it's not something that you just go and do, you know, it's, it's, you have to be prepared for it. So. Okay. So what I'm hearing is don't just send it. No, no, Dakar <laughs> is not a place you just send it. You got like, you gotta be, you gotta think about things at Dakar for sure. Yeah. So that nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys, uh, you and Mason are teaming up and, and there's going to be, uh, going to be a school. I can probably think about three or four people already. So we're going to need dates <laughs> as soon as you, as yeah. soon as you guys got stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I'm stoked. I'm stoked that someone who's young, like Mason is really passionate about it and dude, he works really hard and he's doing the training and he's really good at making road books. So I'm pumped to be partnering up with him and, you know, uh, uh especially put together a school and to get more Americans passionate about rally. Cause I, man, I wish it was a, it was a, a, a huge force in, in USA because there's a lot of people here that could really, really do well at Dakar. And I, I, I hope they get, they get fired up about it. They get fired up and into it. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'll, I'll take the, uh, the information as soon as you guys have, uh, have more, I'll get it, uh, get it up on the website and, uh, get the links on the podcast and everything. Cause I think that's, you know, the more training, uh, the classes now knowing what you said, you know, yeah, do just do all the classes, just do as much as you, as you can. Yeah. Um, which sure. brings up a question about doing, uh, doing road books, multiple road books, having friends write road books for you and doing that kind of stuff. Do you notice that at the car with how long it is like slight changes in the way the road book is designed? Uh, yes and no. I mean, every road book is different, especially very, uh, depending on the terrain, but just getting every single different kind of road book 
and reading it, it teaches you to not be surprised when you, when you come upon something, because hopefully, because everyone's going to navigate different. Everyone's going to make a roadbook different. They all do everything from their level of perception. So if you put that in front of your face, no matter what you've written 16 different people's kinds of roadbook, when you get to Dakar, okay, this is nothing that I haven't seen before. Okay. And then it's easier to put yourself in the shoes of whoever's actually making the roadbook and it helps you navigate better. Cause if you're just trying to do it, how you do it the whole time, you're going to get your, you're, you're going to interpret things, I think incorrectly. Like this year, for instance, if, if you did what the picture told you to do, you were going to do it wrong. If you did what the, the cap heading and the cut, you know, you got to an intersection intersection and it said, take a left at 265 degrees. If you did what the picture said, you would actually turn it like 230. But if you just kept going kind of straight and only bent to the left a little bit, you actually would have, you know, gone on the right cap heading. So it was a little, you know, there was a process of learning the road, but this All right, so this is where the episode is going to come to an end. It Unfortunately, the cell coverage started to cut out, and we weren't able to really finish up the episode uh, on the road with him. I really appreciate Skyler taking the time uh, to chat with us uh, on his commute home, and so it really opened our eyes, opened my eyes to the other side of it. You know, it was really cool to, to, to learn a little bit more about what it took for him to get to the Dakar uh, how he's been progressing over the last three years. It's really, really awesome to see. So we've got our fingers crossed. We're hoping to hear some good news here, uh, maybe in the coming months uh, with him on a factory ride, which would be absolutely awesome. Um, from there, also about the school and what him and Mason Klein are going to be doing. I think that's also going to really help the sport and get people interested, get people behind road books and training and learn from somebody that, you know, well, fifth place, third to car not a bad deal so i think it's going to be really really cool i'm already looking at options i want to try and make that at least for the first one and find out uh you know like he says just get behind road books get in front get you know just go out there for the right reasons and then you know go out there for the adventure of it and just go out and have fun so really looking forward to that so this is one more episode in that series if you haven't gone back yet or if you haven't heard the previous episodes you're going to want to hear the last one that we did with matthew glade from rally moto shop talking a little bit about the equipment and what it takes to get into rally what kind of setup you're looking for definitely want to hear that one follow along on the chasingwaypoints.com website there is a blog article that goes along with that podcast so if you're listening to it in the car you want to get home or you want to get at work take a look as i mentioned in that article we are not responsible for the money or whatever amount of money you tell your significant other you spent on this stuff. So no worry, your secret is safe with us. Anyway, if you haven't already, follow us on social media at Chasing Waypoints. Like, subscribe to the podcast. be a great help. And we will see you guys for the next episode. Next episode, as previously promised, we'll be looking at making road books and what it takes to get behind, uh, behind the computer and, and use some of the programs that are out there. So 
In the meantime, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget, like, subscribe, and we'll see you guys soon.